Hey and welcome to another episode of Some Kind of Colour Podcast. In today's episode we're going to be talking about Adolfo Constanzo, who is known as the godfather of Matamoris and also the witch doctor. In advance I'm going to apologise for my terrible pronunciation of words and practices them and I'm going to try my best to say them right, but they're probably going to sound terrible. So let's get into it. Adolfo was born on the 1st of November 1962 in Miami, Florida. His mum was called Delia Arara Gonzalez Del Val, and she was 15 years old when she gave birth to him. Him and his mum later moved to San Juan, Puerto Rico, after her first husband died, and she remarried. While they were there, Constanzo was baptised in the Roman Catholic Church, and he actually served as an altar boy there, and he followed the basic tenets of the Catholic Church. But his mum also had involvement in another religion that was called Palo Mayombe. So I did a little bit of reading into Palmyombe to try and understand what it is and this is the kind of basic information that I got from it. So Palmyombe is an Afro-Caribbean religion that involved dark rituals that often involved human and animal remains and grave robbing and it was practised in extreme secrecy. It was originally an ancient spirit worship of the Congo and it was brought to Cuba by the slave industry and then it was later distributed into the US at some point. Practitioners themselves were called Poleros or Ngangalaros, a good example of some of the words I'm going to slaughter. And they actually believed that they needed body parts of dead people or alive people in some cases to worship. It was preferably the skull that they wanted. And they believed that any remains can be used to summon and enslave that dead person's spirit in order to do their evil bidding. And they would regularly feed the spirit with the blood of sacrificed animals. This was in a altar that they called a Nganga, and it would be made up of numerous bones, sticks, and the blood, and it was often the source of their power. Uh, modern believers of the religion say that they do often use the practice for good, but they do sell bad spells, but they do sell them for a lot of money, so the bad spells still exist, unfortunately. Um, but with this influence in mind, um, the neighbours of Constanza and his mother had noticed that small dead animals were appearing on their doorsteps. Whether this was Constanzo practising Palomoyombe from a young age and just leaving the animals on random doorsteps to see if his magic worked or not is up for question. He went on trips from Puerto Rico to Haiti for instructions in voodoo and by 1976 he was apprenticed to a, a practitioner of Palomoyombe. During his upbringing, him and his mum were both arrested for petty crimes such as theft, vandalism and shoplifting. So he didn't exactly have a squeaky clean upbringing. But by 14, Constanzo was the apprentice of a local sorcerer and drug dealer. Um, and as time passed, his good looks led him to modelling in Mexico City. And this is where he started to recruit his own occult disciples for his cult that he eventually started up. So his first disciples were Martin Quintana, Jorge Montes and Omar Oreo. Uh, Omar was actually obsessed with the occult from when he was 15 years old and it's thought they actually seduced most of these with his wise words. Um, Constanza was known for being quite well with his words and he could charm people very easily. And he actually claimed one of them as his man and one of them as his woman. Uh, it should be said that Constanza was also bisexual. So he liked to swing both ways. So I believe it was Martin Quintana that he claimed as his man. And it doesn't actually say who he claimed as his woman. 
but there's more to that later on. He does claim another woman, but I'll talk about that soon. So with these followers at his side, Constanzo did begin using his occult practices for profit and he started off selling tarot readings and something called Olympias, which was a ritual cleansing that he used and people went to him if they wanted to remove any curses that were put on them by their enemies. So if somebody put a curse on you, you would go and see Constanzo and he would actually probably just take that away from you. So with all this in mind, his reputation was increasing and he was getting more and more people interested in him. And he kept journals and according to one of these journals, he actually had 31 regular clients that were paying large sums of money for his services. He actually had a menu that he used for the sacrificial beasts and I'll give you a few of them. He would charge $6 for a rooster, $30 for a goat, $450 for a boa constrictor, $1,100 for an adult zebra and $3,100 for an African lion cub. This is a shame because they're animals and they didn't deserve to die. But he believed that he was doing it for a greater good in his eyes. So, still a shame though. But he used these animals in his rituals and they obviously all had different effects. Now, Constanzo used the early teachings of his occult godfather, which were... Let the non-believers kill themselves with drugs and we will profit from their foolishness. So with this in mind, Constanzo did his best to impress wealthy drug dealers around about Mexico City with his black magic. He would do things such as making sure that their shipments were on time and that their business ran smoothly. And he also offered magic that could make people invisible and bulletproof against their enemies. And due to the background of these drug dealers, they actually believed 100% everything that Constanzo was saying and that his magic was real. So, I think the background was Brujeria, which is a similar magic in Mexico and that surrounding area. So that was their background. They believed that he was doing it right. There's actually one instance of a drug dealer paying $40,000 for his magical services over a three-year period. This would have probably been to ensure that his business was run smoothly. But... With such a high cost and his clients not being from squeaky clean backgrounds, Constanza had realised that he was going to need to up his game and that they deserved an authentic experience. And for a first class experience, you usually need high class ingredients. And it was at this time that Constanzo actually had his followers raid a graveyard in Mexico City for bones. And with that, he actually made his own Nganga. And like I said, Nganga would be the source of his power. So he believed that this was his power starting up and it would later be the source of his great power that he continued to feed with human sacrifices. So with a growing reputation and an air of mystery around him, Constanza had started to attract more people to his cult and more clients. Uh, there's two notable clients that joined his cult and they were actually members of the Federal Judicial Police. They are called Salvador Garcia, who was actually a commander in charge of narcotics, and Florentino Ventura, who was retired from the Federalities of Mexico, and he started leading the Mexican branch of Interpol. So these are two people high up in the Mexican police force who were now essentially worshipping a drug dealer. And that is what happened. All the followers that he gained had essentially began to worship Constanza as if he was a minor god. So he was getting all this fame and it was only going to lead to bigger things in his eyes. 
And one of these bigger things would be what, thanks to one of his new followers, and it was the introduction of drug cartels. By 1986, Florentina Ventura had actually introduced Consanza to one of the biggest narcotics cartel families in Mexico, and it was the Caldaza family. Um, he was brought into them to do magic for them, and by 1987, he was able to buy a $60,000 house, a condo rather, in Mexico City with cash. And he was also able to buy numerous fancy cars. One of them was an $80,000 Mercedes, and all of this was money from his sorcery. So he was essentially evolving from a low-level psychic to a sorcerer for the drug cartels. This was the same time that Constanza had started to feed his Nganga with human sacrifices. There never, there never was actually a final body count, but there's 23 well-documented cases. But in Mexico City, there was an even bigger amount of unsolved mutilations, and it's thought that many of them were the work of Constanzo. But over the years, Constanzo came to believe his magic was responsible for the success of the Caldoza family. And then in 1987, he demanded a full partnership in the syndicate from them. Uh, they obviously told him no, and um, he took it in stride, apparently. It seemed to have, but obviously in his mind, he was already planning his revenge. And his revenge would come to light, because on April 30th, 1987, Gilmero Cadaza and six members of his household vanished without a trace. They were reported missing by the 1st of May, and in Gilmero's office, they found signs of strange religious ceremony in melted candles. It wasn't until six days later that the police began trawling the Zampango River and a few, within a few days they actually found seven corpses. Some of them were missing fingers, toes and ears, some were missing hearts and sex organs. One body actually had part of the spine removed and then two other bodies were missing brains. And all these missing body parts and organs were actually used by Constanza to feed his Nganga which in his mind was building his power. So with that drug family out of the way, because they didn't take him on his partnership, he obviously had to find another main income source. So in July 1987, he was introduced to another drug running family by Salvador Garcia, and he introduced them to the Hernandez brothers, Elio and Vido. By the end of July, Constanzo had also met Sara Aldrete in Matamoros, and Constanzo actually felt a strong connection towards her because he believed that they had some sort of significance because her and Constanzo's mother shared the same birthday, which was September 6th. But at the time, Sarah was dating a Brownsville drug dealer who was called Gilberta Sosa. But Constanzo, being as charming as he was, managed to charm her and she ended up in his bed. And being the type of person that Constanzo is, he actually called Sosa to inform him that Sarah was cheating on him, with him, whether or not that was true, the with him part, I don't know, but he obviously dumped Sarah, and with nowhere to go, Sarah was plunged into Constanzo's world, and she emerged out the other side as the Madrina, which is godmother, or head witch of the cult, and Sarah was actually so involved with the cult that she would then add her own twists onto the torture of sacrificial victims, so she wasn't as innocent as she seemed, it would seem. But this is around about the time as well, with his new partner in crime, the godmother. Constanzo had moved his base of operations to a plot of desert that was called Rancho Santa Elena. This was 20 miles outside of the city of Matamoros. And this is the same time that he's 
actions had become more sadistic and elaborate in his rituals and he started killing more and more people. And by May 28th, 1988, a drug dealer by the name of Hector de la Fuente and a farmer called Moises Castillo were both executed by gunfire. But in Constanzo's eyes, the ritual was a disappointment because if the victims didn't scream, show their suffering or plead for mercy, he didn't believe he was doing his job right. So that was a disappointment to him and he didn't feel the ritual went well. So with that disappointment, Constanzo sent his drones, if you will, into Mexico City to dismember a transvestite by the name of Ramon Esquivel and he told them to dump his remains in a public street corner. Surprisingly, he never got caught for this, but not long after, in June 1988, the Houston police actually raided one of his drug houses and seized numerous items of occult paraphernalia and the city's largest shipment of cocaine and Apparently his luck was holding out because there was never any consequences of these actions towards him. So his luck was going well and everything was going well for him. By August 12th, Avido Hernandez and his two-year-old son were actually captured by rival drug dealers and the family turned to Constanzo for help. And on that night, a human sacrifice took place at Rancho Santa Elena. And by August 13th, both the hostages were released and they were unharmed. And obviously, Constanzo took credit for the safe return. I actually think that he might have had a hand in the capturing. I genuinely wouldn't be surprised because he was obviously trying to build up a friendliness with this family. And by saving one of them and his son, that would probably show that he was good in their eyes. So his magic has obviously been seen to work and he was seen as a bit of a rising star. But when he was celebrating, he never noticed that one of his friends actually killed himself. It was Florentina Ventura, and he committed suicide in Mexico City on September 17th, 1988. And Constanzo had never noticed. He continued his magic ways, and continued murdering, I can only assume. And it was in November 1988 that a disciple of the cult called Jose Gomez was sacrificed by Constanzo because he was accused of snorting cocaine, which was actually in direct violation of the rules put in place by Constanzo himself. He obviously didn't want his cult members taking drugs while they were working or at all. So that's another victim to add to the list. Then by December 1988, Constanzo's ties with the Hernandez family had been cemented because a video had joined the cult as a fully-fledged cultist. This is obviously what he was aiming for, and that's why I think that he maybe asked another drug dealer to capture uh, a video Hernandez and his son was so that he would have a drug cartel in his cult with him. Could be a possible theory. Who knows? But it would continue because in February 14th, 1989 he would continue to kill a, a competing smuggler called Ezekiel Luna was tortured to death at the Rancho Santa Elena and then there was two drug dealers Ruben Gaza and Ernesto Diaz who wandered into the ceremony uninvited they were then put on the menu and tortured to death as well he obviously wasn't best pleased about ceremony being interrupted so they suffered the torture but Constanzo was known for his spur of the moment sacrifices and if he felt the sacrifice hadn't gone well the first time he would request a new one an example of this is on February 25th, 1989, when he called for a new victim. Hernandez, the new member, didn't 
want to disappoint him, obviously, so he gladly joined in the hunt for this new victim, and he actually killed his 14-year-old cousin, Jose Garcia, in the heat of the moment. Whether he cared about it or not, we'll never know, but there doesn't seem to be much information on the aftermath of it, so we can only assume that he valued the cult more than he valued his family, which is lovely. But it continues, and by March 13th, 1989, Constanzo had sacrificed yet another person on the ranch, but once again he was displeased because the victim didn't scream and plead for mercy. So he sent out his cult members to find him fresh blood for another killing, and this is when everything starts to kind of go haywire for him, and his actions will have consequences from now on. So it was on March 14th, 1989, that the cult members abducted 21-year-old Mark Kilroy from outside a saloon in Matamoros. Kilroy was taken to the ranch and he was killed by a machete blow to the head. His brain was removed and boiled and then his legs were cut off post-mortem. But what Constanzo didn't know is that this abduction would have consequences on his operation. Like I said, this is the start of the downfall. But so far everything seemed to be going well, so Constanzo called for another ritual. And this time it was Sarah Aldrett's ex-boyfriend, Gilberto Sosa. However, by this time, the investigations of the disappearance of Matt Kilroy had begun, and this is when the downfall begins. So the reason there was an investigation for Mark Kilroy's disappearance is because unlike the other victims of Constanzo, who were normally drug dealers, transvestites or peasants, who unfortunately at the time in Mexico weren't questioned if they disappeared, Kilroy was actually a popular pre-med student, and families and politicians in Texas were calling for investigations into what actually happened to him, and this would eventually turn into an international incident. So this would lead to numerous things being put in place that would eventually lead to cult members causing the end of Constanzo, essentially. So by late March in 1989, Mexican police were pushing an anti-drug campaign. They were erecting roadblocks and were sweeping the borders for any unsuspecting smugglers. Knowing this, Constanzo done a ritual on April 1st and he sacrificed Victor Saceda and the message that he received from his spiritual sources had given him confidence in sending his cult members who were going to be taking half a ton of marijuana across the border in a few nights and like I said the message that he received told him that this would be okay. So in April 9th 1989 after meeting with Constanza in Brownsville Texas a cultist called Seferin Hernandez was told to return to Matamoros from Brownsville with the shipment of marijuana. So he drove through a police roadblock without stopping and ignored the cars that were actually chasing him because he 100% believed in Constanzo's magic and that he was actually invisible to the police. And when he stopped at his final destination, he was genuinely surprised that the police had followed him. But to further prove his belief in Constanzo's magic, Hernandez actually taunted the police and told them to shoot him because he believed that the bullets would bounce off him because Constanzo's magic told him that would happen. Instead, the police actually arrested him and they also arrested another cult member called David Martinez. Both of them were then taken to Rancho Santa Elena. This was when the police began the preliminary search of the property and they found firearms and marijuana. When they were searching, there was two other cult members wandered onto the ranch Elio Hernandez and Sergio Martinez and the police arrested both of them as soon as they stepped on the ranch and they spent the full night questioning the four of them to see what they could find out. The next morning the police returned to the ranch in force and this is when they found the shed where Constanza kept his Nganga. 
When they found it, they discovered it was full of blood, spiders, scorpions, a dead black cat, a turtle shell, bones, deer antlers and a human brain. Once they found it, they decided it was probably best to destroy it. And in theory, by destroying it, this is destroying Constanzo's power. So if he believed in all that sort of thing, that's obviously when his downfall starts from that moment there because the source of his power has been destroyed. But they didn't stop there because they continued to interrogate the captured cult members and they actually directed the police to Constanzo's private graveyard where he buried all his victims. And it was by April 16th they found 15 mutilated corpses. Included in these corpses was Mark Kilroy, there was two renegade federal narcotic officers called Jacqueline Manzo and Miguel Garcia. There was the other named victims that I've mentioned and there was three other men who were never identified. So with all this going on, with all the names being dropped, the police finally knew who was responsible for all these things and they raided Constanzo's luxury home that was in Atzapan that was outside of Mexico City on April 17th. When they raided it, all they found was stockpiles of gay pornography and a hidden ritual chamber. But because Constanzo knew that he was being searched for, he was hiding out in a small apartment in Mexico City with Sarah Aldrett and three other disciples. On May the 2nd, Sarah actually tossed a note out of the window of the apartment and it read, Please call the judicial police and tell them that in this building are those that they are searching for. Give them the address, fourth floor. Tell them that a woman is being held hostage. I beg for this because what I want most is to talk or they're going to kill the girl. This was Sarah's crude attempt at saving their own skin and essentially claiming that she was innocent. Uh, somebody did find the note, but they kept it to themselves because they believed it was a joke. And it wasn't until May the 6th when some neighbours called the police at the apartment block about the noise coming from the apartment. Uh, they believed there was an argument and they heard gunfire. So a patrolman went out to investigate and when I arrived on the scene, Constanzo opened fire on him and this led to a 45 minute shootout with the police and thankfully only one officer was wounded and no one was killed. So knowing that escape was going to be impossible, Constanzo actually gave his final orders to the cultists and he gave it to cultist and professional hitman Alvero de Leon Valdez, who was called El Dubi. Now Constanzo handed El Dubi his weapon and they ordered him to shoot Constanzo and the original cult member, Martin Quintana. So El Dubi recalled the scene as, He told me to kill him and Martin. I told him I couldn't do it, but he hit me in the face and threatened me that everything would go bad for me in hell. Then he hugged Martin and I just stood in front of them and shot them with a machine gun. So this was the end of Adolfo Constanzo. He was too cowardly to face his crimes and he chose the coward's way out by being killed by one of his cult members that he probably brainwashed. But it's not the end of the story, there's obviously more to go and I will finish the story. So, with Constanzo dead, the police raided the building and they arrested Sarah and El Dubi. And then following that, 14 more, cur 14 more cultists were charged for various reasons, some of which included multiple murders, weapons and narcotics violations, conspiracy and obstruction of justice. By August 1999, El Dubi was convicted for the killing of Constanzo and Quintana. This resulted in him receiving a 30-year prison term. Two cultists, Juan Fragosa and Jorge Mantes, 
were charged for the murder of transvestite Roman Esquivel, and they were both sentenced to 35 years each. Omar Oria, one of the original cult members, was also being sentenced for the murder of Ramen Esquivel, but he died of AIDS before he could actually be sentenced. And finally, Sarah Aldret. She was acquitted for Constanzo's murder, but she was sentenced to six-year prison term due to the criminal association. And towards the end of her sentence, uh, there was a long delay in her trial on multiple murder charges, but this was eventually done and she was sentenced to a 60-year prison term. They did say that not every single cult member was caught, so there could still be some of them out there to this day. Practising Constanzo's Palo Mayumbe version, we'll never know, they obviously practice in secrecy. But that's the story of Adolfo Constanzo and his whirlwind of a life from tarot reader to cult leading serial killer. But I do have my views on this and I will now tell you them. So I think Constanzo was a psychopath in psychological terms because he didn't really care for the people that was around him and he only really looked at the benefits he himself got from his acts. Such, I mean, he killed friends, members of his cult, mainly because to put them in his nganga which he believed led to his powers and I believe that he was strongly religious and because of that he might have been slightly delusional now I'm not saying that strongly religious people are delusional, I'm just saying he is an example of it because he believed that his magic was real and that was the reason for his success and delusional because he believed that if somebody shot at somebody he put a spell on the bullets would just bounce off him that just it doesn't work in the real world. It's up for a debate. We'll say that. Um, but he definitely wanted to be the boss. He wanted to be in control and he wanted to have people look up to him and essentially worship him. And he got that because he was the leader of a cult. These people would put their life in the line for him and they did everything he said. For example, kill him in the end. So he got what he wanted in that sense. But I can't help but think that if it wasn't for his dissatisfaction in one of the murders of the victim not screaming pleading for mercy he might not have sent out his cult members to bring back Mark Kilroy which led to an investigation which could have been the start of Mexican Met Police starting their anti-drug campaign so if he didn't do that you never know how long this could have lasted maybe it would have been indefinitely or maybe the Mexican police would have still done their anti-drug campaign that we'll never know I'd like to think he'd have been caught eventually but all else I can say is that he obviously enjoyed the process of the killing because he tortured them and people who torture always enjoy it but he obviously enjoyed the outcome as well because he believed that it was for magic so that's all I have to say on Adolfo Constanzo uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and if you want to talk about it, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. My Facebook and Instagram is Some Kind of Killer Podcast. And my Twitter is at Some Kind of Kill, capital R. Also, whatever you're listening on, whether it be Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Republic or Spotify. If you give that a subscribe, you'll be kept up to date with all future episodes. And as such, same if you follow or like on any of my social medias you'll be kept up to date with everything that's going on and I post fun little facts and might even do a little quiz things like that but thanks for listening it means a lot and I hope everybody enjoys their day thanks bye